Hello and welcome again to the KimCast. This is episode eight and we are here. Guess where we are? <laughs> That's right. On this little island of Okinawa. This place where if you go up north, you'll see these minuscule butterflies the size of the tip of your pinky finger. Or if you drive along the coast, in the tide pools, these brilliant little blue fish, maybe two centimeters long, almost fluttering about in their little alcove, doing life together. Or sometimes in the gardens or in the parks, if you take a walk around the neighborhood, you'll see these, these hummingbirds the size of a ping pong ball just buzzing about, pollinating the different flowers, just vibrating with life, and yet so small, so almost unnoticeable in some ways. And then as I saw this month, there there's whales here, humpback whales, dolphins. Once there was a killer whale, like 30 years ago. And the humpbacks, they come here to raise their, their little ones. So, so if you're lucky, you'll see a mother raising her, her calf, teaching them how to, to breach, to jump, to swim, to dive, to hunt. And last month I, I saw one of these and it was just this precious sight to see this little one surface like like uh, on the back of its mother. This intimate, beautiful experience that's so, so much like our own when we're little. We all know that, that feeling of being carried on, on someone's back, right? Or, of course, here, one of the, the most, one of the treasures of Okinawa is the grandmothers, who I, I talk about often on this podcast. Sometimes you'll be out and, and you'll see a, a 90, 95, 97-year-old grandma just out taking a walk on vacation. Last fall, I, I was in a hotel and I in the lobby, I just struck up a conversation with this woman who seemed probably like 80, maybe. We were just talking about our hometowns and what the, the different personalities are of, of the little, each village on the island, right? And, uh, and at the end she goes, well, that was great. I happen to be 97 and I'm on, my, I'm on my day off going around the island. And what a thing, 97, healthy as ever, seen so many things here on this island and yet just full of this this vitality this love for life this remarkable capacity just to talk to someone almost 70 years her junior what a place so i wanted to begin today with these, these beautiful things, 
these treasures that endure here, despite a history that is so full of suffering and loss, that life continues to sing and dance and shout all of life, even in the hardest times. There is this absurd determination of the trees and the waters and the birds and those pinky-sized little butterflies to go on, to continue, to live. And so that's solid ground to begin today because today I want to talk about the past and particularly the unintegrated past, how the traumas of history when not integrated continue to persist in the present and even bind or haunt aspects of our present experience and prevent us in ways from moving towards a true future. So the title of today, the episode is, is Sankofa. This word from the Akan language of Ghana, which means to go back and get it. And it's often paired with a symbol of a mythical bird with its torso turned forward as its head is turned backwards with the meaning that if we are to move towards a prosperous collective future, we have to go back, look back into the frayed threads of history, the things that we lost, the things that were broken, the pieces of ourselves that were taken, and to go back and reclaim to go back and get those things and bring them with us as we move towards a better future. Like that there is this ongoing dance in relationship with the past, the present, and the future. And so today, all over the world, of course, we are wrestling with, with the collective past that we share. And in America last month, of course, we saw the Derek Chauvin trial for the murder of George Floyd, right? And even as the trial was going on, these further killings of people of color by the police, almost like these flares of violence bursting forth even during this monumental trial, right? And so I want to explore today some of how the past, right? How these are almost like these flares from the past. That yes, this, this continues to go on, but that there are these roots in our past that, that we haven't looked at together as a nation. So Sankofa, right? That's the word for today. And, and I'm just going to, to share, to begin with sharing a little bit of my own journey with this word, with the past, what I've seen in, in my own journey. Um, and then we'll look into kind of what's the difference between integrated and unintegrated past? How does that affect 
the present. And then lastly, we'll look at how do we really go back and get this stuff? Like, what is that on a messy, practical, tangible level? Yeah, because that's serious work. So, yeah, my own journey, this place, this word, this, this process that seems to have directed so much of my own life, right? Begin, my relationship with this word begins when I was 16, I believe, summer after junior year of high school. And my, my friend had invited me on this tour, which was called Sankofa, which was this project of my church, the denomination of my father, to work towards racial righteousness or racial justice by organizing these tours to go and explore the history of slavery and civil rights in the South. And I was, you know, a teenager, had no idea what I was getting into. And I remember getting on that bus. I, me and my friend were the youngest. The oldest was probably 80, 81. Black folks, white folks, Asian folks. And going down and seeing these places where slavery had been the norm, the economic powerhouse, the, the driving force of so much of, of the nation in some ways. And, and I remember these, these conversations where we'd be sitting and all of a sudden it was like the weight of that past became so thick in the air. And for some folks, it was hard to breathe. And I remember this, this elderly black woman just getting up and leaving one of the times. And the weight, the, the heaviness of that history, so present in a way that it struck me. It, uh, it left something in me that, that just continued to simmer over the years that how could this this part you know like in our our textbooks we read maybe a paragraph about slavery and that was that and now we're here right but when we were in those rooms slavery was like it was yesterday you know, civil rights was you know last week it was it was unbelievable how current, how here that history was. And as I, you know, grew up and went to college and all these things, I noticed that in my own life, in my own family, there were these aspects of the past that were viscerally present. And when I talked to my Korean great uncles, they're, they're 90 and 93 now. 91 and 93, yeah. That, they're, that the, the suffering 
of Japanese occupation in the early 1900s. It, this wasn't the past for them. This was here. The memories of Japanese soldiers spitting on them. The experience of, of being demeaned or slapped or in danger because of a foreign power occupying your country and killing people at will and threatening your mother, right? This, this was so in the air still when we'd talk. And I noticed that at times, it'd be even, even in my own bones, I would feel this anger, this, this hatred that persisted towards, towards the Japanese army and towards Japan as a nation that there is something in the past that continues here and I can feel it in my veins, my bones, my hands. And of course, living here in Okinawa, right? Like we talked about in, in the past episode, the bones the way that there, there, there are these parts of the past that are here physically. The remains of people who lost their lives to a war that wasn't ours, right? The loss of Uchinaguchi. Right? We all speak Japanese now. Yeah, that history, that the unintegrated past, right, persists in, in these places you go on this island where there's a lot of ghost sightings. There's kind of this, this slow heaviness in the air down by some of the mass graves in the south of the island. So there is this, this way that the past is, is not the past in so many very visceral, tangible, current ways. And this, these things went unintegrated, right? We see this on an individual level. That I've seen this in the clinic, in my own practice, um, in what I've studied, that when we see in unintegrated childhood trauma, that when, when a person has a flashback, the MRI will show that their brain is doing the exact same thing as it was in the moment of the trauma or the traumatic event. Or the nightmare is very similar. That the patterns in the actual nervous system are the exact same during that flashback, which is often triggered by a smell or a sight or a scent or a person, right? So the past is here in our nervous systems, in the concrete flow of electricity through our circuitry, right? Or in our bodies, as the, the fantastic book, The Body Keeps the Score explains, right? That these aspects of ourselves from an earlier time are actually frozen at that point. And when not integrated, they stay there and 
they actually don't return to the flow of our current experience, which is why when, when we see with PTSD, and for all of us that we have these triggers to certain aspects of ourselves, that it's like we go back to a moment when we were four years old, or when we're in a situation that reminds us of something, it's like we're 12 again. And we respond very similarly to the way we did at that point, because it's like there's this aspect of our, our nervous system, our self that can't quite respond from the current moment. Yeah. And all of us have this in some way that even as adults, there's some things that are, are still quite triggering for us. We see this in our intimate relationships when we have something that really gets us, right? And the other person does something and it's like we're all of a sudden we're three years old again and we're crying and, you know, wanting to shout and, and even wanting to be violent in some ways, right? That that happens. That's a part of us. And that it's like our nervous systems are actually still there, frozen at that exact time when it was too much, when the, the outer, external world, the stimulus, the violence, whatever it was, was too much for us to handle. And so we, we froze that part of our development at that moment. And then we, our bodies, our nervous systems hold this into the present until through healing or, or tra trauma therapy or you know, a close relationship, someone who's a good listener, until we go back and we get that piece of ourselves and we bring it back into the here and now, right? And these, this is on an individual level, but we see the same happening on a collective level, right? The, these major events, like I, I talked about with Korea and Okinawa and African-American people in America, right? These parts of the past that remain here, whether in the land, the, the physical landscape around us or in the hearts of a people, right? In, in the, the attitudes towards others around us or other countries, we see in Korea and Japan relationships, there's times when it's, it's as if it were 1945 again, right after the war, still with the memory of Japanese imperialism like it was, it was yesterday. And so even today, the leaders of Korea and Japan clash often. And it's, it's led to severe difficulties in trade and policies of security relationships, uh, which of course affects the whole region of East Asia, given the very intimate relationship that both South Korea and Japan have with the United States in terms of international security, collaboration between navies and militaries, um, even, even threat detection of North Korea, right? That this, the past, yeah, it's here. It's impacting policies right now. Or we think about China, 
right? These centuries of humiliation at the hands of Western powers, the opium wars, the, the foreign domination by either Western powers or the, the Japanese, that there is this current nationalism in China that emerges from a desire to never again be humiliated. And then, of course, in America, right, the legacies of slavery, genocide, immigration for all of us who are immigrants to America, all of these major traumas that are that hang in the air for many of us, and of course with with the ongoing killing of black people by police officers. Uh, this is this is all related. And there's a really distinct difference that we can see between integrated and unintegrated history. As one of my teachers says, Thomas Hewboy says, integrated history is presence. Unintegrated history is past. And we know this from our own lives, that when, when our nervous system is able to integrate events, even difficult ones, we don't even think about it, right? Like, oh, riding a bike was really hard and maybe we fell a few times. But we don't, it doesn't stay with us usually because we were able to go th move through it. We probably had support, hopefully, from a friend or parent to help us get back on the bike and ride again and then it became a part of our circuitry and it became easy and normal and integrated. Or eating, right? That, that when we were young, it was like we were so dependent and as we learned, we learned to eat, we learned what we like. And for some of us, we learned how to, to eat when when we're hungry, right? And not eat when we're not so hungry. But then if, if there was trauma at that point, maybe we learned to eat when things were overwhelming or not eat or, you know, deprive ourselves or whatever because there was something that was overwhelming in our environment that food became a different kind of relationship. And so if that's the case, there's this unintegrated aspect that continues into the present, right? Because even if maybe there's not an external stress, we continue to eat or, or deprive ourselves or whatever because of that part of our past that has not been healed, integrated into the current moment. And so integrated history is this flow, right? We're here. We learned to ride a bike. We learned how to eat. We learned how to have, uh, we had a breakup and it was difficult. And now we look back and say it was difficult. And it was even, I, I did some bad things maybe, or, or things that weren't appropriate. Or that person did some things that were unjust in a way. But... It's okay because it it's integrated and it became a part of our learning and part of our present. And now we, we have kind of a wider 
capacity in that arena. But the unintegrated history, like we said, with we see in the MRI, it's like we go back to that exact moment. And that's interesting, right? Because it's as if time didn't pass. Our system literally didn't take that part of our experience and move it into the whole, right? It's still stuck, contracted, often tight in a way. When we encounter these kind of difficulties that are not integrated, there's there's often this constriction that we feel, right? We, you know, we, if any of us have talked about race ever, we know that there's often this experience of like, wow, contraction, no flow, narrow, right? Racism in America, right? I mean, yeah, Thanksgiving conversations or, or wherever, right? That there is this experience of a tightness, even a reactivity, that we often feel very different from the integrated flow, like feeling of, of, wow, there's space and movement here. And I've seen this in my clinic as well, that right often after we've worked together for some time, there is this moment where there's enough safety and, and coherence and strength on the part of the patient to say, you know, I've been thinking about this time when I was, I was three. And my mom, my dad, whatever did this. And it was like, it was like, I go back there, right? Like when I'm at work, I go back to that moment. And this is like a key part of the healing process to go and be with that moment because it's actually still frozen in the past. And of course, our systems, our body at a certain time often give us signals about these unintegrated parts of ourselves. This is often what symptoms are. The body saying there's something not right here and it'll often repeat. Or we'll find ourselves in situations that are reminiscent of that same part of our past. And it's like, why do I keep getting into these kinds of relationships, right? Or why do I always end up at a job that I really like for three months and then I hate? Or all of these kind of situational parts of ourselves that it's like our system almost gravitates towards something that teaches us about this part that's not integrated. That like symptoms actually are the path that guides us towards what has not been healed, what has not been reclaimed, that we haven't gone back to get in the language of, of Sankofa. And so in this way, symptoms are the way. They guide us, they show us to aspects of ourselves that can be brought back into the present. And so as we see collectively now, we see these quite devastating symptoms in our collective societies, in the governments, in the ongoing clashes, like with Korea and Japan, 
with China and its aggression very near near to this island here in the, in the South China Sea with its threats towards Taiwan and other neighboring countries with the ongoing of course uh, police killings of black people in America right that there are that it's almost as if the past is hanging there and our system our, our collective nervous system is saying wait there's something here we need to look at this and that's the wisdom of sankofa is that if we are to really move towards a future a true future which is fresh and new and flowing and full of innovation and we have to go visit those contracted tight dark parts of our past which is no easy thing and and no like light journey for us to take which as i saw on, on my on my first sankofa journey when this was a heavy heavy time one week of these conversations so full of anger and tears and despair right but essential for our future essential for actually holistically addressing this issue that we see of of police brutality these geopolitical tensions here in the region of asia yeah cuz the past is hanging out the past is here and the frozenness of that past keeps us from moving towards a true future so how do we do this how do we reclaim the past right how do we pick up the what seemed like millions upon millions of lost fragments of history how do we integrate things like slavery genocide war because sankofa is much more than a cognitive process and we can't read our way to integration we can't know enough facts and theories and philosophies to bring ourselves to a point where these things don't affect us anymore because trauma is a visceral full body emotional soul process and so our response has to be similarly whole holistic body spirit mind emotions so these questions i believe are are some of the major questions for for our time for my generation for research and discussion and government and business and all of us to really encounter and we see this in in the literature in what so many people are are writing about and being called to and doing right but what i've seen in my in the clinic with my own patients in my own journey 
personally and if, with what I've learned from teachers and, and books and so on, is that there are some ingredients, some things that we really need for, for the Sankofa journey. And the first is courage. Right? The first is the, the impulse to say, yes, I'm going to look at these things. And what I've seen in the clinic is that this happens usually at a certain point where there's enough strength in the person. We've worked together for some time. And there's enough strength to say, yes, there's something in my past that I, I have to look at. So much of my, my history goes back to this one thing this one event when I was four years old or whatever. It, there is a certain level of strength and yeah, that, that yes, that courage to say, I'm going to go and explore what this is. And of course, a part of that is that the second ingredient that I would say we need is, is space. And often we have courage when there's enough space in our environment to support that impulse. Right? So in the therapeutic relationship, it's like the patient in, in our ongoing practice, even if it's online, that there is, there is a space where that exploration can be held, where there's a level of safety and encouragement and support to say, yeah, we're going to be okay, even if we look at those things that are more difficult. And there is that quality that we feel uh, around the listeners, the deep listeners, the healers, the grandmothers, the folks who, who have that room inside. But this is an essential ingredient to, to being able to go and look into history. And we need those people. We all, and we also need it in ourselves, which is often what, what meditation and prayer, worship are about, is that there is this expansion of space inside so that we can hold more. Such that when we look at, at slavery, for example, we can open ourselves to the fullness that that ignites inside. And there's room for us to hold that together, right? So courage and then space. And the third is, is precision. This attunement to the details of what we find. Right, so we say yes, we have the courage to say yes, the space inside, either individually or, or as a collective, as a group. And then the precision is that capacity to, to tune in precisely with what's there, with what we find, with the, the fullness of the texture of the fear or the anger, or the grief that we find. Like on an individual level, when we, when we have a moment where we're exploring something from our past, 
And when someone's with us, it's so helpful if they can be there in exactly where we are, right? That when we're exploring that, that time at age four again, that the person who's with us, the healer, the counselor, the friend, that there's this capacity to tune in with exactly what that fear was like when I was five years old. Because the fear there is different than the fear we have now or when we're 12 or whatever, right? That there's something very particular with what that is. And as Thomas Hewell says, precision is love, right? And we know this um, quite personally for a lot of us that when someone's able to be with us in our exact experience, we feel seen, loved, and and accepted, right? And so collectively, for us to be able to tune in with exactly what happened, with the details, even if they're uncomfortable and gruesome and probably make us feel like we want to even step away. But that, that depth of textured attunement is really essential from what I've seen in looking back to these things. Because it's like with Sankofa, we say it's like to go back and get it. Well, we have to know the exactly. Like we have to be able to go and feel exactly what we're going back to get in order to bring it into the present. If it's just kind of fluid and anomalous, it's like, okay, so we're going back to get slavery. No, slavery has a shape, a texture, an array of emotions and memory and so much more than, than we can know, right, uh, before we go and look. That's precision. Precision is, is going there and saying, yeah, I really want to feel the fullness of it in the details, in all of it. And when we have the courage, we say, yeah, I'm ready to go and embrace that and to look with my whole being into what's there. And then the fourth is coherence, right? This, particularly as we do this collectively, that we, we need to have a coherence between each other, right? To look together is to have like that, you know, that, that feeling you have when, when we're in groups, when we were, it's like there's a silence in the room. We're all focused on this one thing. Or if we've had an experience in like a religious service or at a funeral or a wedding, it's like the air is full of this, this reverberating unity. Like the field is exactly one, connected and in tune. And when this is what we feel in groups, right? When we're coherent as a, with our friends and what we want to do in our conversation, we're not all over the place, right? We're, we're together. There's a flow. There's a thread that's unified. Uh, 
or within ourselves when when we have emotions, mind and body in flow, in balance, in coherence, not the mind like off separately doing its own thing, right? No, there's this oneness that we're able to feel with practice and in certain moments, right? And when we look at into history, coherence is essential that we be able to function as a field, as one body in a way, as we look, as we work towards bringing these pieces of ourselves, our, our nation, our history, back into the present. So courage, space, precision, coherence. And then the last ingredient is what we call the divine God, spirit, the universe, the great chain of being, right? This higher power, this higher presence, this force that flows through all of creation, all of the cosmos, every living thing unfolding in ever greater complexity and awareness and even love, right? That there is this force that calls us towards a future that allows us to imagine a higher way of being and loving and organizing our world. And this force that also calls us in the first place to the work of Sankofa, that whispers in our ear that this is our work, to go back, to reclaim what has been lost, to integrate the frozen pieces that we've left behind, whether that's in ourselves, in our own personal journeys, or more collectively as well. That this, this presence is on our side. This, the universe wants to heal. That the divine is there with us as we face, like the Sankofa bird, what we find in our history as heavy or massive or seemingly insurmountable as it may be that we're doing this with the presence of something far greater that can give us the resources to do this work and something that we often experience in little ways in our lives right whether it's with someone we love, whether we're at the ocean or whether we're with one of those little pinky sized butterflies. That life, the divine is here and is with us and is supporting us as we do this work. And when we know that we can have a confidence, a boldness to to really look at these things and to take on the journey of Sankofa with a full heart, a fire in the eyes, and, and a knowledge that, that we don't do this alone. This is a process that I believe our generation has been called to. 
and and that we will find the ways that there will be the words and wisdom and ideas and innovation that we need to work on these things together. So those are some of the ingredients that I believe we need to do the work of Sankofa. And of course, this is work that is a journey of at least a thousand miles. And so as the Tao Te Ching says, it starts right here right beneath our feet. And as we take each step, we can trust that the next will be revealed. That as we integrate each portion, each fragment of the broken past, that we'll start to see new things. That as we, we usher those parts that have been separate back into the wholeness, of the present, that there'll be more room for flow, for spark, for ideas and innovation. That as we heal the past, there'll be a freshness, a hope that comes from the future, what is to come, the wildness of life as it unfolds into things that we could have never imagined before. So we can trust each step that in some ways I believe we're, we're just beginning this work, right? And as we do it, the effects will ripple back and forward in time. That this in some strange way reaches our ancestors, reaches back into their their presence, their lines, and makes that connection greater, fuller, and more whole, more supportive. And in the same way to our descendants, this is work that matters so much to them, to how they will be formed, to the epigenetics that they will receive to the societal structures that they grew up in. Yeah, this is deep work. Will they come into the world that is still frozen in some ways, hundreds of years beforehand? Or will they come into a place that is full of freshness, of presence, of possibility. Yeah, this is work that stretches across the boundaries of time. And what we're doing is, is we're writing the endings, right? That we're always writing the future chapters of the book of life. And that they don't end with these stories of these events of genocide and slavery and war and suffering. No, we write the endings now. We are continuing to write the story of all of us, of life, of this planet. And so as we do this work, as we wrap the past into the present, as we bring these fragments from history, 
back into the here and now. We're also writing the ongoing story. And so we can weave this past into the wholeness of the book of life. And that is something to celebrate. These books aren't, aren't written and closed. We're writing them now. And so Sankofa, Sankofa, to go back and get these things. This, I believe, more and more of us will be called to do as individuals, as nations, as a world. Yeah, it's time. It's time for us to together find the courage to go and look into the dark crevices of history, to witness to what we find there. And then to tenderly, tenderly bring those fragments back into the present where they can be at peace, where they can come into the flow of life here and now and where they can be a part of the wild, wild future that awaits us. And I believe that along the way are little miracles as we do this work, as we go back and get those things that were lost, that were broken, that were taken. Sankofa, this journey that awaits us. Grace and peace and courage to all of you.